Time to jump on it, and there you go. So we got it. Now we see what he does, actually, you know, the entire rest of the playoffs for this team, and so on and so on. Uh, Jake Fisher joins us, NBA senior reporter, Yahoo Sports, and about as connected as anybody could be on the NBA. And Also, podcast host of a prominent podcast called No Cap Room. Yes. Just want to shout, shout you out for that. Hey, you get the more the better. That's when someone comes on, we'll plug everything yeah, we can plug for everybody. It all. That's how it works, Trista. Uh, Jake, we were talking about the Nixon Heat series a little earlier, and... I don't know, man. Like, I'm a Knicks fan, and I don't get nice things very much, and this team's been fun, but I'm really concerned with what I saw. Even though they won that game in the Garden, you had no Jimmy Butler for the Heat, and Miami just, now they look like the Warriors. They, they can't miss. This team couldn't do this in the regular season. With it being 1-1 at this point, who actually, in your mind, has the momentum going into Game 3? Momentum's a fickle thing. Um, I, I would say I don't think any team necessarily the momentum has swung their direction, but I, I agree with you in that I think this series is definitely tilting in favor of Miami right now. They stole home court, and, I mean, I think the fact that they won game one played a factor into Jimmy Butler not playing because they don't play again until Saturday. Game three gave – that schedule gave Jimmy a lot of time to rest up that ankle and – He's going to be raring to go. The Miami home crowd is not exactly MSG, but also it's just it's a tradition and it's pretty standard throughout the recent history of the playoffs as three-point shooting has become more and more prolific. Wolf players tend to shoot better at home. So for the Josh Hart's and the Emmanuel Quickleys and Quentin Grimes and everyone not named Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle on this Knicks team where New York wasn't exactly blistering from deep at home, now you go on the road – to, in theory, you know, an adverse environment by comparison to your home crowd. Yeah, I think the Heat have, you know, a pretty good circumstance for themselves moving forward here to try to get to their third Eastern Conference Finals in four years. Boston uh, choked up another fourth quarter lead to the Sixers, said they let off the gas because Joel Embiid wasn't playing. Marcus Smart came out and said that the majority of their offense is just basically random. <laughs> Are you hearing any we'll call it not reservations or you know negative feelings about Joe Mazzulla getting the interim tag removed, but like, what are you hearing just around the job that people think he's done? So I haven't really heard anything about his playoff performance, but from the jump and from the start of the regular season, people were pretty impressed. Um, and also, I'll say this. In asking people about the Milwaukee situation with Mike Budenholzer and the fact that Boston just they, – they stepped up and put Joe Mazzulla in that position like within a moment of Ime Doka's suspension. And there was no doubt from the lead Celtics decision makers that he was their guy. That's a rare thing. There aren't many teams that have an assistant from the back of the bench that they are willing to hand pluck and confidently put – in the fire and lead this roster that they've assembled that has championship aspirations. So I don't really, I say that all that to say, I don't really care what happens in this postseason. There'd be something, there'd have, there'd have to be something pretty dramatic that would shift Brad Stevens and his front office, their high opinion of what Joe Missoula is capable of because they felt so highly about him before he even took over that first chair to the point where no one else even really saw it coming. They still looked in the, you know, potential eyes of naysayers and doubters of this, you know, 34-year-old, I believe Joe Mazzulla is, unproven coach. They picked him and handpicked him. 
something crazy would have to occur for that to kind of shift gears here. Yeah, it's certainly a tough sell after elevating a coach to permanent head coach and then that same offseason then finding somebody else to replace him. So, yeah, it's not easy. But, of course, this is a wide-open NBA playoffs where it just feels like we haven't had an NBA playoffs where you could sit here and poke holes yet believe in the same teams. Just about every team that's out there. I mean, even the Miami Heat. We talk about them as an eight seed right now. Though I'm kind of concerned with the Suns. I That lack of depth is becoming a problem for them. A lot of minutes for Durant. CP3 is going to miss multiple games. Do you see that series going any longer than maybe four or five games in Denver coming out? They just look like they're overmatching Phoenix right now. They are overmatching Phoenix. And this was the problem with the trade that I had that a lot of people I know in the league had. You go and trade for Kevin Durant when you can. I mean, he's one of the greatest scorers of all time. He is 34, though. He has, you know, recovered from this Achilles injury a couple years back that ended his tenure at Golden State. But, you know, MCL injuries to his right knee happened in back-to-back seasons that ended up prompting a trade request first from James Harden a year ago, then Kyrie Irving this season, and then Durant's own trade request. And Phoenix gave up all their draft capital they have available, plus Mikhail Bridges, who's obviously you know, taking a bit of a star turn here in Brooklyn. Cam Johnson's a very, very touted uh, two-way player who's about to sign a pretty lucrative deal and restricted free agency upcoming. Without a lot of margin for error left in return, especially with Chris Paul's age and his health status, and this is the, kind of the worst-case scenario where that, that we all kind of saw coming the second they swung that deal. So... A lot comes up on campaign now. A lot comes up on, you know, Josh Okoge, Tory Craig, Landry Sham. It's kind of been that rotating cast of, you know, fourth and fifth guys that have been out there with uh, KD and Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And Denver just, they come in waves, man. And they've been there before. People forget, and, and as much as everyone pulled holes in the nuggets all season long, the last time this team was fully healthy, and it was different, Jeremy Grant was in the role of Aaron Gordon, but... This group made the Western Conference Finals in 2020, and Jamal Murray is one of the best players in the bubble. So you add all that to a two-time MVP and Nikola Jokic, who's now the runner-up after Embiid took the award, like you said, last night. They got a veteran coach in Michael Malone who has a lot of respect from his peers around the league. It's, I mean, Denver is no no joke. And, and Phoenix, I think, just coming in with some star power, they, were, they already had a tough task ahead of them. Losing Chris Paul just makes it – all that much more challenging. And he's also, even at, at full strength, he's been a shell of himself all season. Barring, obviously, injuries to, like, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, is there any scenario where the Suns can win this series? I don't think so now. I mean, I definitely, when when the playoffs started and Yahoo had us all kind of pick up bracket and move teams along, like, I pitched Phoenix to beat Denver, just basing it off of the fact that they have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and when a series goes long and you end up being able to scout your opponent and take away certain things and cross-match and what have you, like that ability to just be a one-on-one score in space, I thought would maybe be the deciding factor over a seven-game series, and maybe it still does, right? Maybe the altitude was a real factor, and you switch things up in Phoenix, and all of a sudden the Suns have home court. The same thing we were talking about with the Nixon Heat, where the setting with the supporting cast, you know, maybe – the Josh Kogis and Tory Craig start hitting those corner threes and things start to t- turn. But I think, I mean, my editor and I were on the phone today trying to plan out where I might travel to the end of this season, the, these series and the start of the conference finals. And we've kind of already ruled out 
Game five in Denver being of interest. Like, if there even is a game five, will that series still be hanging in the balance? Like, we're not so sure anymore. So, I, I it's it's going to be a really tall task for Phoenix, and I'll, I'll leave you with this Easter egg. Like, I do wonder what changes end up coming from the Suns under new owner Matt Ishbia, Jeez, and you know, they've they've got a workshop in the front office, and who knows? I, there, I, there's just a lot I think that will be foreseen to. Uh, unfold there in that organization that this is a pretty clean, you know, dismantling at the hands of Denver. I tell you what, another player, you mentioned Cam Johnson coming up to, on free agency. Another player coming up on free agency is Dylan the Villain. Um, he <laughs> Now uh, Sean's reports that he will not be back to the Grizz under any circumstances, uh, but earlier Memphis offered him, I believe, reportedly somewhere in the 15 to $18 million range per year in terms of an extension that he turned down. How did we get to a place where they were willing to offer him that and now they're not willing to bring him back for even a, a bag of chips? So to be candid, I haven't talked to anyone since the series ended where I have like a definitive answer as to why he's no longer in the plans. But I do know that I do know a couple of things. The first is that any starting player in this league right now, they're looking at the salary figures jumping up in advance of the new TV deal expected to come in in 2025. And they're all saying, if I'm not, if I'm above the mid-level, you know, if I'm above that $11 million range, I'm worth 20. And so that's why you have players like Grant Williams who didn't come to an extension with Boston and, you know, Cam Johnson, to your point, is going to want somewhere in that range. Like, it's just kind of where the NBA is going right now. So I, I understand why Dylan Brooks would have declined that just based off of where the general rule of thumb and line of thinking amongst agents and players are right now. But I think to bring it back to Memphis and Dylan, the, 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 what happened in the Lakers series and what happened kind of the second half of the year where this team – kind of got distracted by image and kind of the branding of what they've been doing and you know a lot of people in the league from other teams kind of got sick of Memphis this season from a talking standpoint and the fact that they haven't really accomplished anything in the postseason and I think the Grizzlies from all the conversations I've had over the last couple years they've been so keen on trying to build this thing organically and slowly and through the draft and try to block by block, make a plucky rebuild into this fearsome contender. And, th- I mean, they-, they just don't have that type of, like, organic flow anymore. They're trying to bark louder than their bite actually is. And I, I understand why Memphis would want to maybe, you know, reel this thing in a little bit more, play things close to the vest. They didn't want to, like, arrive too early and miss their window and, uh, you know, kind of shoot the gap altogether before they were actually really a team that could contend. Um, and you, you saw them at the trade deadline first try to get a little aggressive here. You know, they made an offer for KD. They made an offer for Mikhail Bridges after that deal went through. Um, so that, 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 that spot with Brooks, that wing spot next to John Morant and, and Desmond Bain and in between those guys and Jaron Jackson up front, like they know that's kind of a, a, the one spot that they really have an area for upgrades. So they were already going to be looking at that. I think his shortcomings against the Lakers and the fact that he's kind of taken on a kind of a life of his own as a personality, something that maybe they wanted to just turn the page from 
and start to get this thing more back to like a collective cohesive unit as opposed to just being, I mean, the team that is led by Dylan Brooks. Yeah, and and really quick, you talk about upgrading that wing position now that Dylan Brooks is not even a fallback plan. You know, what do you what is the next move for M- Memphis in in getting a wing? What do you think is realistic? Well, I'm sure they'll poke around on OG Ananobi. Um, I don't want to start listing names and because I I don't know definitively outside of that, like guys that I believe to be on their radar, but they'll they're probably going to want to find someone that they know is just going to be a guaranteed threat from the outside um, when the ball swings to them in the corner on the weak side. Like the, Luke Kennard and his his absence from game six was so stark. Just the fact that he was a legitimate threat from deep. I mean, he's arguably the best three-point shooter in the league. He just added such a dimension to their offense. I think that's a, a, a definitive clue as to what they're trying to do. They're trying to add more of a shooting threat and more shooting threats around Ja, around Desmond Bain, around Jaron Jackson to keep defenses more honest, to keep the offense and the floor space for those guys to attack the paint, especially Ja. So that way, when he does kind of take off and you know assault the rim, like then there's there maybe won't be four bodies collapsing in the paint and he's crashing on the ground and breaking his wrist and all that type of stuff. Got about a minute or so here. The Lakers take game one against the Warriors. Everybody was on Golden State in that. Was that more of a testament to the Lakers and the team they actually are, or was that maybe more of a result of the Warriors just played a tough seven-game series and it was emotionally draining and the Lakers just snuck up on them? I think it's a testament to Anthony Davis where when he's been on this season, he's been – a legitimate top t- 10 player in the NBA, maybe even more. And when he's exerting two-way dominance like he is and like he has been throughout this postseason, there's been a couple games. There were a couple games against Memphis where he kind of no But when he's putting up 30-20 and blocking five and what you saw him do in the playing tournament against Minnesota, and that's why the Lakers went out and traded everything they did for him. And that's why they believed all along throughout all the Russell Westbrook trade chatter and every little tweak they've done for the roster. The Lakers believe if Anthony Davis and LeBron James are healthy and playing at their peak capabilities, they've got as good a chance as anyone to win the title, and it's kind of hard to argue right now. Yeah, we saw it in the bubble, and we've seen what Anthony Davis is certainly capable of healthy, and that's what the, that is the vision of what that team was supposed to be right there. Thanks for coming on with us, Jake. Good talking that's to you. my guy. You got it, guys. Take care. Jake Fisher there. Yeah, I, man, that... Anthony Davis, a 30-23 and 23 game. If he can come even close to that the rest of this series, the Warriors might be in trouble. It's good because I got a futures ticket on the Lakers and the Warriors winning the title. So can't, have, can't win them both. Maybe I can have one out of that. We'll, we'll have see. to see. Golf bets with Jeff Feinberg next. Bet MGM tonight.